Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's podcast, I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Ian and Luke, as well as our artist liaison for Speculate, Rochelle Decker. In the media section, we chat about Fargo, Bones, and the Oscar-nominated short animated films. Speculate isn't too far away now, and we wanted to get you in the specfic spirit by talking about our first forays into speculative fiction and those works that left an impression on us. If you want more information about Speculate, you can head to our website, specfic.com.au, for information, session details, and ticketing. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are coming to you live from the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and I am joined by not one, but two co-hosts. So, Ian, how have you been going this week? Pretty good, thanks, Joel. It's great to be uh, back at the Brunswick Street Bookstore. I, I've got to say, I love being here. Hear a tram whistling past. I think one came past just as you started talking. Uh, this is the quintessentially Melbourne podcast spot. Absolutely. I think, yeah, it the, the sound of a tram in a bookstore, so Melbourne. I can't, yeah. That, that's one of the reasons why I hope they never kick us out of this venue, right? Luckily, it wasn't a tram be... in the bookstore, which is the sound of the tram. Yes. Because that would be interesting, too. I would like that would to be see very what awkward. would happen if that was added yeah. or implemented. The that... tram stop inside a bookstore. Oof. That, well, actually. Or a library. Yeah, that's some Harry Potter stuff right there. There you go, maybe. Um, Luke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really good to have you. And, as usual, we have a guest, and today we thought we would bring on a member of our team running our speculative fiction festival. Rochelle, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Fant- I'm not actually part of the Morning Bell team, but I am part of the festival, which is going to be very interesting. Exactly. And that festival, Speculate, is coming up on April the 28th. So we'll get it right out the gate and let you know about what's happening because a lot of this podcast is very much explaining our love of speculative fiction um, to give you an idea of you know, the kind of conversation that you can expect from that festival, and, you know, just to chat about our influences in speculative fiction. So that festival, April the 28th, um, 9 to 5 at Gasworks Theatre in Albert Park, um, will feature some of Australia's best uh, specfic authors. I think we're all very happy to have the people there, and a lot of them um, have been guests on the podcast as well. Yeah, and that's why we're um, <clears throat> we're super grateful for Rochelle stepping up as well. She's been working hard with our artists. Um, have you found the workload so far, Rochelle? We we got you in contact with a lot of people to organise things. It's been okay. It's been quite a ride so far, actually. Joel was like, "Hey, you can talk to people. Let's go talk to people." <laughs> and from then, I've really been deciding. All right, so what does that actually mean? Who do I talk to? Mm-hmm. What do I do? So, yes quite interesting i've been reading all the books of our guests so far so excellent reading material uh any any particular highlights or moments that you've really enjoyed in, in reading the books anything that's kind of obviously I'm not asking you to pick favorites but anything that you've uh, you've enjoyed so far picking up i haven't gone through many so far i already had read quite a lot of trudy canavans so quite surprised that she had come out with something else so very eager to read that one but the most recent one i finished was mark smith's when winter comes, when no, I've got that wrong. Road to winter, you mean? Road to winter? Yes, the road yes. to winter. That's the one. Road to winter. Road to winter. Yeah, I just keep remembering the Wilder Country because Wilder Country is his recent release, 
Um, no, Mark's, Mark's fantastic, and I'm uh, really looking forward to having him on that session. So for you uh, listeners who don't know where this is and you know all the information just fled past you, um, just go to our website. Uh, specfic.com.au it's got all the information speaker list ticketing and early bird ticketing as well um but yeah speculative fiction is one of those things that all of us when we started the podcast it really was the kind of stuff that we wrote it was the stuff that we were interested in and so doing the festival was a very natural um evolution of that and um yeah can't can't wait to talk about uh, that more in the topic section but for now um let's move on to the media section um and uh, I guess I'll start off uh, with the media section. Um, so one of the recommendations from Ian um, back when was uh, Fargo. And I've gone through season one and two. I believe I talked about season one um, in the previous episode. But season two is really... Um, I, I just finished season two and I really enjoyed it. You know, I think it was one of those um, TV shows that really clicked with me. The main character was very much someone that we don't see very much of on the screen today, just a good person. There's no real shades in there. Um, there's no desire to complicate his morality. Um, and that and that's an interesting decision, especially something that is very inspired from Joel and Ethan Cohen's style of narrative. Um, seeing this character is not exactly unusual for them, but it's super interesting. And I think um, the second season, what I love about Fargo is the first season is, is good, uh, really solid, and the second season I thought really picked things up and took them to, I hate to say another level, but it was, you know, there's, there's so much, what they did was so well was to take numerous um, storylines and kind of merge them together. Um, for me, I, I personally felt some decisions around how storytelling was, was done were a little heavy-handed in places, kind of really pointing out things that had happened which maybe you kind of innately knew had happened, um, Especially around a couple of characters who'd, you know, got killed off during it, and they kind of had, felt like they had to really elaborate. Oh, by the way, they definitely were killed off. Um, I found that a little bit uh, heavy-handed, but that's like a minor thing in what was a fantastic series. Uh, Luke, yeah, you, you also a, checked it out, yeah. There was a lot of uh, rewinding in that mm. series that was a little bit confusing for me. But yeah, explain um, explain what you mean by that. Uh, I'm curious. They they kept having the scene that was back in time, and then they'd forward again, and they so it, a lot mm. of the time they start an episode with like a bit of a bit of almost a summary, sure of something that you hadn't seen in the previous, but you knew happened, mm. and then it would um, it would uh, catch up to where it was. Um, there were also some very interesting experimentations with um, cinematography in that that one. I haven't seen that in season three or one as much. Where they split the screen off and they have this person doing this thing and somebody else doing something else. Maybe yeah. they're talking to each other. Maybe they're not actually doing anything related to each other. Uh, there was one clip where the I'm gonna say sheriff. He's not the sheriff. Yeah, uh, constable, uh, deputy, uh, deputy marshal, deputy U.S. Deputy marshal. Deputy marshal. Yeah, one of those titles. I think he's in the U.S. marshal. Uh, where yeah. he's doing something and then his wife's doing something completely unrelated. But yeah, it's, it's so good. Of, it's yep, very interesting the way it splits that off. Yeah. Um, Almost like a comic book, like a panels. Bit like a comic book panel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, so you've been enjoying it, season I have, two? I have. I finished it, and it was quite a quite a thrill. Yeah, fantastic. I guess we'll all be finished with season three um, by the time we come back to the next. I uh, will say, I don't think the um, the antagonists were quite as interesting as the season one antagonist. Sure, because he was such an incredibly unusual character. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. like quirky and un, kind of unpredictable. Sure. 
But um, at, at the same time, this still works out for the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, th- I think Fargo is a, a really good um, show, and I'm definitely interested to see where they go since they have different, um, different stories as well. <laughs> One thing I was curious about mm. now, spoiler, but only small spoiler, was the aliens. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about that. I've, I've talked about it a little bit with Joel, and, and like it was kind of like why they went there <coughs> is a bit of a... It's, it's an interesting one. It I feel never like explained. It was just poof, there, yeah. and then they're gone again. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a minor kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that they decided to go there. I'm not sure. Sh- I kind of felt like maybe, and maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it, there's a whole theme about invasion that was kind of happening as well. Mm. Like, you know, you had drug people coming down to take the other people's drug turf and mm-hmm. invasion of this invasion of that. I thought maybe that was kind of where it came from, but I think Joel's point about it was kind of like, Hey, maybe they just decided that that was big at the time. So they ran with it, but actually <coughs> ran with it rather than insinuating. Yeah. See, yeah. see that was, that was going to be okay for the, the first sighting, but there was a really major part of the story where they completely changed what was going to happen. And I thought, you, even in all the most wild stories of alien sightings in America, they've never actually really changed something that's, you know, with thousands of witnesses or whatever. <laughs> so um, that one was probably the most jarring yeah. of the series for me, but hmm. but otherwise it's pretty solid. Yeah, no, great series. So highly recommend it. Um, Rochelle, I don't, you haven't seen Fargo yourself? Not. I haven't. Unfortunately, oh. this is my first time hearing about it, so hmm. I got that spoiler first up and i'm just wondering what this show full of aliens yeah. briefly maybe <laughs> one episode don't worry the, uh, too sure. you won't be too spoiled by that one thankfully no luke's definitely that's that's so minor that you'll you'll blink and you'll miss it kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah absolutely rachel what have you been watching recently um recently i've been watching bones it's i heard that ah. there's, it's run over 12 years and mm. it just came on tv and i started watching and it was from season five, but it was so interesting how they mm. have a forensic psychologist and yep. she's just, it's very interesting how you get how mm. to study bones and what that means for how the person's lived their life and yeah, yeah. what it says about the person is so much more revealed from it than you would think. I, I f- um, forensic anthropology is quite interesting and it's based off the books written by a forensic anthropologist, so... Oh. It's got that dynamic as well, so... That's interesting. I, I feel like Bones is one of those programs that was always on TV, uh, like, you know, back... I don't really watch a lot of TV, so it's more Netflix, but uh, I feel like it was one of those shows that was always on one of the channels all the time, and I never actually watched it, so I'm, I'm glad to hear someone actually getting into it, because clearly a lot of people watched it. It's been going 12 seasons. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like, Bones, Castle... Was Castle at the same time? And then there's... Um, the Doctor Show, what was it? You know, bunch of doctors. And anyway, um, and then there was um, X Files, but then that's quite a while ago. But yeah, it, it, it's interesting, is it? You're, you're really enjoying it. It's quite interesting. Yeah. You've got each person has their own specialized area that they're going into. So sure. one person is looking at all the bones, mm. and she's quite good at it. So she's got an assistant who she's helping teach at the same time. And then they get something sent off to analysis with identifying all the bugs in the area and what's left of uh, the remains. Yeah, yeah. So you've also got someone that does facial recognition and they know just how much flesh remains on the bone and how that would construct a face. So 
Not sure how accurate these ones are, mm. but I'm just going with it's it. It's entertaining. It's entertaining. Um, yeah. Do you think you'll keep going with it? I've already started back at season one, which is quite <laughs> odd to go from season five back to season one and then going, no, it's on TV. I need to continue it. And then going, hang on. Didn't they just meet and then go, ah, season one, season I five. I see what happened there. Are there any situations where it's like, wait, that character's dead? Or it's like, oh, does he die? Does he disappear? Does she disappear? Like, is there any of those situations? Can't say I've had that happen yet, mm, but it might be dependent on which episodes. I won't know until I get further ahead. Fantastic. Um, Luke, what have you been watching? Um, Sophie and I watched the Oscar nominations for short films. That's oh. the first time they've shown in, in Australia, I think it was, hmm. over in the Nova Cinema. Oh, right. So you actually went along to see it. Oh, went along right. See it, yeah. So they, they show them all in one night? Kind uh, of they sh- so they showed the five Oscar-nominated film, uh, short films for live-action ones. So the fir- was the first night we went to. Yep. And then cartoons we went to the next day. What a great idea. And Yeah. Um, and did, you, we- did you say cartoons instead of animated short well, films, Luke? perhaps. Oh, my goodness. I can perhaps. hear the animators typing on Twitter right now, Luke. They're okay. coming in hard. I don't check my Twitter. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we kind of picked out which ones would actually win, almost. <laughs> oh, so what, for, what for was the, the strike rate? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. give the, the okay. top top two of the the live action. So there was uh, one that was called Watu Watu. I think it was called Watu Watu. I'm probably gonna get this wrong. Sure. Um, it was done by a German crew and some. I'm going to get the country wrong. I won't say it. Uh, some Kenya. Kenya. Some Kenyans as well. And um, it was a glimpse into the struggle between religions in um, in that country and the schism between... You know, even... Um, so it's got the, the like fundamentalists of both sides, as well as the people who are mild and like they don't mind. They're just anyone who's of the same race is still they still care about them, mm. and so it goes into the story of uh, a young woman who's traveling to family in another town, mm. and the bus she's on is waylaid by Islamic fundamentalists. Mm. And there's a guy on the bus who's a Muslim who actually helps to hide her, mm. and he's like a he's a very well versed Muslim himself, and she's a Christian. So mm. um, yeah, it goes into a lot of the emotions, and I think it presents it very well. Very tense short film. Um, if it ever comes out for viewing, I'm not sure how many of these do. I think they do. Did the Oscars come out? Yeah, they, well, they, I, worth I, having yeah. a look if it does come out anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that one didn't win the the, um, the eventual prize. Uh, Silent Child was the one that did win, and that was about a young child in England who was deaf, so she couldn't hear anything, and she was trying to grow up in a family that was uh, incredibly busy, whatever you want to call it, sort of upper society where they... Um, hmm. They had a busy life to go on with, and the the parents just wanted just wanted her to be normal, so they could get on with their lives. So um, they they hire a a sort of like a babysitter, like a, a child. What's hmm. what's the profession? More like a um, 
Sorry? Up here? A bit, more, a bit like a governess who, right. who can help with teaching sign language and, and tr- just trying to bring her up to speed with people around her. Yeah. Um, and the girl's doing fantastically with sign language um, and she does really, really, really well at this. But the, but the mother is constantly like, no, 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 no. We have to get her to, to read lips because we want her to be normal, mm. to, like, to, talk, to talk to normal people. Mm. And, and so that's the, it goes into the struggle of um, how this young girl is affected when, when the mother is just like, takes, takes mm. her away from this sign language education because she just has to integrate with normal yeah. people. Uh, too much. It sounds interesting because the the what le- they generally be about half hour length. Is that right? The features. Uh, more like fifteen minutes. Oh wow! Mm. So it sounds like because that sounds like a lot to push into fifteen minutes. Whereas the first, um, yeah, the first episode. Um, I see that nodding. The first episode, uh, first episode, first film sounds like it was more of a. I can understand how you do that in fifteen minutes. Mm. You know, bus gets way late. I can see tension. So, did did they manage to? They must have done that. Oh, it was fantastic. How, it was done do, very how well. on earth did they do that? Just the cuts and the way it was done with the sign language story. Yeah, it was only very small snippets of each time that the the child would would uh, interact with this um, teacher. But you get to see. It. Yeah, it's it's. It's one of those things that you have to see to believe how they fit it into that many minutes. Yeah. <laughs> was it? Did they use a lot of montage by any chance? Like, no, no montages. Hmm. Uh, wow. Very short montages, if anything. It was more like just a, a snippet of what she did. It was one yeah. day and then a snippet of the next day. And you just see that she does quick, like... So it's a little bit of montaging, but it's not. it doesn't like in your face like, oh, there's this, 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 this. Well, I suppose this, that's the end. one of the reasons it won, right? Because of the deafness and managed to put all of that in. That's mm. crazy. Wow. Mm. What was the what was the next one? Um well the next one was what it was just the the animated the animated film that one was uh it was done in almost like a, a pencil drawing style. Oh, I'm a big fan already. Say so you would have voted for it. Okay. Yep. Um about some kid's story as he went through admiring basketball and then like throwing his dad's clumped up socks into a yeah, yeah. bin and then growing up and then sure. um, becoming a pro athlete. And then mm-hmm. it was it was presented in the style of a sort of like a farewell love letter. So he was, because he's getting older now and he's like, look, I've loved you forever and mm. thank you for all the times we've had, but now I have to put you aside. And yeah, yeah. and it's not that I don't like you, it's just that I, I've gotten too old for this sort of thing. So it was very interesting the way they did it. And it won the top. So did you? Did you? Did was it a tearjerker for you or not? Not for me. Mm. No, it was nice. It was. It's like it was mildly surprising because at the start I was like basketball. Yeah, no, I was about <laughs> to say sports. Luke, ooh, ooh, you're not big fans. Sports, and then at the end I was like, okay, it, it did okay. I thought, but I didn't think it would hit the top. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it also pulls you into like a um, yeah. How do you? Uh, how do you tell a story in in such short form? So I think all of us here have tri- have done a bit of short form fiction, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, Rochelle, what do you find when you're trying to boil a story down? Do you, do you find that you prefer longer form, or do you not mind kind of paring it down into something shorter? What's your preference? I have to say, I don't do a lot of writing, so mine would be more in terms of reading. Mm. There's been some really condensed short fiction that I have read that I just know I will never get to at the rate that I'm going with my lack of actually writing. 
in order to write, you have to read. But yeah. in order to actually write, you need to actually start practicing and writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm still in the very much reading stage. Um, just trying to think of the author's names, but what really pulls out to me is how much story was in that that short form that I can't actually remember yeah. um, who the author in. I think someone who does both actually pretty well because I think it can be rare to find someone who does them both. I've read uh, Margaret Atwood, um, some great short fiction from her. There's one about um, pines, I think it might be called that, which uh, I've forgotten. Fantastic. But uh, also, weirdly enough, George R. R. Martin in his um, in his books does these wonderful, like he'll do a, an epilogue or a prologue that is a story in itself, which I always enjoy. And it's so short. Yeah, normally his stuff's so expansively long. Yeah, it's it's crazy because I think sometimes there's short fiction and the short fiction contained in his longer fiction are better than the better than the longer fiction. It's crazy. But yeah, there are definitely some authors that favor it. It's it's interesting. I I never started out liking short fiction because I liked longer work a lot. And then um, as I kept reading, some of my favorite authors did really, really interesting short fiction. And then I began to experiment with the form. But yeah, like like we were talking about, Luke, finding a story, being able to condense it in a way, but not condense it, right? A mm. short story can't be a condensed novel. Mm. It has to be its own thing. And finding a narrative style is really difficult. It's, yeah, it's a completely different skill set. Have you have you ever um, tried your hand? I know you have tried your hand at short fiction. How did that go? I I enjoy a bit of short fiction, but it doesn't resonate as strongly with the way that I write. Sure. Um, usually, when I write, I keep thinking, uh, "What will be the next step in this story? What will mm. be like the yep, future yep, yep. of the story? The grandkids of the character <laughs> and the blah 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 blah." You know. Um, you, you're a, you're a Tolkien Silmarillion kind of guy. I think so. Mm. Possibly. Yeah. 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 Can see that uh, the expanded universe sort of guy, but um, I think from what I have noticed, the best short fiction has been something that's delivered a very unusual, not a punch necessarily, but a very unusual um, idea. Mm. It's delivered that within the short fiction, whereas the, the longest longer form stories are usually focused on the development of a character or development of a, a world or idea or something. I, I'll give you the one that I think uh, trumps all. Have we all seen Up? Yes. Uh, Actually, yeah. I haven't. I basically Ooh. live under a rock. Okay, that's fine. Continue. All right. I know vague things. <laughs> all about I will it. say about Up then, without giving any spoilers, because there's no way I'm spoiling this one for you. Oh, I think uh, it might Rochelle. have already been, but no, no, ahead. it's fine. Um, is that the way that they do their introduction in that uh, is one of the finest pieces of, of short storytelling I've ever seen. Yes. Um, and uh, don't worry, it's it's yeah, not that does not give anything away, but just the way they do their introduction is outstanding because they deliver of uh, the way they deliver that is just fantastic. So, I mean, it's possible to do short stories within long stories as has been shown there. And you kind of get it as well. Just thinking again on the theme with Pixar, uh, you kind of see it at the, the, the meta narrative. God, that's such a, I'm, I'm sorry for the wanky term, the narrative they run over the entire piece about, you know, growing up and the, the fi- what we thought was the final Toy Story movie, uh, they're bringing us back to jerk more tears, um, is so well done. So, I mean, yeah, being able to deliver something succinctly is a real skill and something I think that um, there's a time and a place for all of them, but I think one of the hardest things to do is to deliver a story in a short, short time frame. Mm. Um, yeah, so is there any other short, beautiful films on that list, Luke? Well, there was one that gave me the, the description that I brought mm. up. <laughs> um, it was It was called... Empty Space, I believe. 
It was done by a, f- a French studio, a French bunch of guys. And um, I think that's the one that I really thought would win mm. the um, the Oscar. For because animations. it was French or because it was good? Not because it was French. <laughs> um, because it it told the very, the very simple um, concept of this kid who was... Uh, he'd grown up, but he told the whole story of how mm. his dad had taught him how to pack, and it would show all the way, like, folding up this like this, putting it in here, filling up the bag with the, the neatest, most most uh, economical space, and, you know, nothing moving around so the shirts wouldn't, like, uh, crease or anything like that, all packed in neatly. And then he would talk about how he would help his dad with packing and how his mum was no good at it, and so she always, he always relied on him to pack it for her, him. So he, his father would always rely on his son to, to pack that for him. Um, and, and then at the very end, it shows that his father has died and he's la- lying in the coffin at the uh, funeral. And that's, that's where his mind went when he was looking at the coffin. And he's saying, what hmm. a waste of empty space all around his mm. father's um, body. And I was, I was just stunned it i was like wow that's it's one of those moments that you yeah, capture yeah. where you don't expect your mind to go to something like that like oh it's like a case you would th- expect them to be thinking oh that's my dad but it's it's one of those moments where maybe lost in grief or something yeah the absurdity just, of a just, thought yeah the absurdity of a thought yeah you focused and on the details mm. there was a short i think it was a short film by pixar not incredibly certain it was about a seagull i don't know if you guys seen it might have been called seagull yeah um it was before a particular movie Mm. and it was so short and so good as you follow this tiny seagull as the uh parental seagull explains this is how you go get food watch me do it Mm. um and the attempt is made and fails because this giant wave comes over and the absolute fear this bit not pigeon. Seagull goes through, trying to go. No, nah, I've tried. I failed. Never getting back mm. on that again. And just the way that it shows. I don't want to ruin the end for anyone that hasn't seen it, but it's so amazing how you follow that fear and you follow the circumstances around. Mm. You can totally understand why. Yeah, relatable. And also how they have to try yeah. It again. Yeah. 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 And once the attempt is made, it's amazing. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think short films have that ability to to leave you stunned or um, in awe. Whereas longer fiction, you have enough time to absorb the grief or the shock or whatever yeah, it is. I, I think, again, yeah. the short short form is more designed for the more of a kick or sort mm. of oomph rather than, um, rather than a journey. Yeah. Like you're not going through a long... You're not attaching to characters quite as much. Sure. Like you, like with the up one, you you get yeah, a lot yeah. more connected. But it's not like you're learning about their entire family and mm-hmm. their history and what they think of their neighbors and what. The, you know, yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not that sort of journey. brevity is on its side for for impact. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you're done with the list, then we will move on to uh, Ian. It's a very interesting list. I'm glad someone went and watched that because that's really interesting <laughs> to talk about. Um, I need to get on that next year. Um, yeah, hopefully they do it again. It was the yeah. first one in Melbourne. Oh, was it really? Yeah, or first, it might have been the first in Australia, but I think oh. it was definitely the first in in Melbourne. In Melbourne. There you go. 
Well, I'll hand it over to Ian uh, for his media section. Yeah, so, I mean, not too much for me because uh, we've already chatted a lot about some great things. Uh, I'm currently reading through uh, Sabriel, which is Garth Nick's seminal work, which has been fantastic. Um, really enjoyed reading that and uh, seeing uh, the influence as well he's had on, on kind of works that have come since then has been really good. Uh, and in particular, um, thinking about Samantha Shannon's work, which I read last year, saw them both on a panel at... Um, at uh, Melbourne Writers Festival and it was interesting uh, the way that uh, Samantha does some of her writing it absolutely resonates with how Garth sets up his um, his dead things in uh, in his writing which is wonderful um, and I've also uh, managed to push myself through for an interesting series I've been doing American Crime Story OJ Simpson trial which is great but uh, I also pushed into something called Manhunt Unabomber which is about the hunt for the Unabomber um, and if any of the writers are listening, good on you. Uh, wasn't really my cup of tea. Um, and I would describe it as six episodes that I didn't love so much. Now, the main reason for this is, I, apart from writing storyline, whatever, I really struggle with historical fiction in that I'm always thinking about what really happened. Like, what was the actual thing? You know, you got this guy who was kind of a small player in this hunt, and they make him to the main player. And I'm like, yeah, did he really have a showdown with the Unabomber? Nah, not in real life. So that was interesting. But um, there was one particular episode where the actor who plays the Unabomber and I'm forgetting his name but he plays uh he's in um the Marvel Universe as uh is it Jeffrey anyway the I'm just not going to get this right anyway he does one episode leading as the Unabomber and boy is it a great episode so I really enjoyed that just kind of emotionally connecting with how and why and his motivations so that's been my kind of uh thing for the last month interesting yeah it Dealing with difficult people um, is a, an interesting thing in film um, because, yeah, I've talked about this on the podcast before, so I don't want to dwell on it too long, but I would strongly suggest you watch... Um, uh, oh, it's one of those days. It's one of those days. Uh, classic serial killers um, being interviewed. Um, and, you know, the, the name will eventually come back to me. Um, but it's a show on Netflix, and I strongly suggest you you watch this unnamed show that I will remember after the podcast is over. Thank you, Joel, for that wonderful description. Interviews look- with a vampire? No. <laughs> Interviews with someone. That's fine. I'll find a show about serial killers. Mindhunter. That's the one. So that's what Mindhunter is about. Okay, I'm going to be watch. I am going to be watching Mindhunter, and uh, that's going to be fantastic. So looking forward to that. But yeah, that's been me for the last uh, little while. Fantastic. Well, let's move on to the topic section now. To give you a bit of background as to why the topic is structured as it is, um, and hopefully when you come to the festival, you'll be able to see this live in action. We had a fantastic opportunity um, at the State Library uh, of Victoria. Um, They allowed us a space to film, and we had this wonderful opportunity to get in some of the best um, spec fic and also those authors that aren't spec fic but deeply respect the genre uh, to come in and talk on camera about their love uh, for the genre. And there were a couple questions that I put to each one, and, and the last was usually a tailored question to the guest. Um, but those questions, as I you know went away from that filming session, which turned out fantastic, and the film will be um, at the keynote of the, of the festival right at the start, um, so you can't miss it, it's, it was really interesting because those questions kept replaying in my mind, and I kept wondering, I wonder what my answers to those questions were. Um, so I thought, well, you know, we've got Rochelle here, we've got the team, why don't we put the questions to ourselves and see what answers we can workshop, <laughs> what answers we can come up with, because I think speculative fiction, again, very close to all our hearts, and we'd love to talk about it. Um, 
So yeah, that in mind. So the two questions, basically, the first one, and we'll start with this and we'll go around and have a chat about it, was the first science fiction or fantasy or just speculative fiction in general that really left an impression on you, right? And it, it was one of those questions that gets asked a lot. And we usually ask it like, oh, you know, what's the first book you read? But what's the first spec fic book that left a mark? Um, and that's and that was one of those questions that I realized I had so many influences. It's really hard to narrow it down. Um, and I hate to, you know, put this off to someone else, but... I'm going to do that. So, Ian, why don't we start with you? Yeah, no, that's an, it's an interesting one. Um, I think, actually, I, I would say Narnia, but I've talked about that before. Um, I'm going to say one of the first ones that probably left an impression might well be the magic school bus with Ms. Frizzle going under the sea and all that, because that is a work of speculative fiction. It's pure fantasy. Getting the school bus, under the sea it goes, the imagery of that. I know this sounds silly, and I'm going to get laughter on that. Surely all of us have looked at... The magic school bus at some stage. That's probably the first. I, I know that's weird. I would say Narnia, but I feel like I've already talked about that so many times. I think it might well be that. Uh, you guys are all familiar with Magic School Bus? Did you read it growing up? Yes. Rochelle? I watched it growing up. I didn't realize they were books. You didn't realize they were books? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, great books. Great books. Like, that for me, they're like the Scholastic. You remember the Scholastic uh, mailer that used to come around schools? There was a Scholastic mailer. Um, and it was like, you. those were always featured. And I ordered one of the books, the Undersea one. Um, and it was just something about it. It was a, it was a very normal uh, school bus. And then suddenly, well, no, anything but normal, but like, it was. I think the idea was that it connected really strongly with you as a child because you could think of something you could relate to, a, a, a teacher who's fun and likable. We always had a favorite teacher. But this favorite teacher took you actually into things like shrunk down mini to see the human body or went under the sea or into space or whatever. So hmm. it really made a big impression on me. So, yeah, you know, I, I started um, trying to prevent laughter, but I realized um, beyond my cynicism that it, it's a fantastic choice because it's it's a classic portal fantasy. Um, it is actually a portal. The, the, the bus is the portal into other worlds. Um, so I, I'd love to, like, dig into this a little bit. And it, it, at first I was like, this is hilarious. But then I'm like, no, this is actually a fantastic choice. And I'd love for Luke and Rochelle to jump in on this as well. But my first question would be, do you think the, the, the normality of the bus. It's, it's, it's a classic image. If you go to school, you've been on a bus. Um, and do you think it was that, that idea of something so normal, so relatable, and then pulling you into a world that was fantastic, that was the key? Yeah, I think it was, uh, it's kind of like every kid wishes, uh, the, the thing about Narnia is that it talks about, you know, going to a wardrobe. Well, we've all had a wardrobe at some stage in our lives that we've looked into, and, you know, it, it pulled you in through that. I think it's the same thing with this. What if, you know, all great uh, stories are based on a what-if question, right? What if this happened? And the question is, what if your school bus was more than a school bus, you know? And I think that there was a lot of relatability to it. Now, also, very cleverly, it was highly educational. Thank you very much, school system. I'll get you every time, those books. But, uh, yeah, like, it was very um, it was very relatable, so it brought me in. But it had such colorful characters as well. And Miss Frizzle was so, like, just even the name, Miss Frizzle, and there she is with her frizzly red hair, you know, got it going on. I, I feel like, Rochelle, did you connect with it as, as a TV show? Did you did you love it as well? Was it something that you connected with at a young age? Um, it definitely gave the feeling of, all right, we're on a field trip, we're all on the same bus. Yeah. Off we go. Yep, yep. Learn some new things. Now we're back in school in the normal world again. I think it was quite important that although you had this very strange thing happening with the bus, not only did you go to the strange encounter, mm. but you could come back yeah, on the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So in that way, I didn't have as much an impression of it as mm. you've had because I felt that it was very normal. Mm. You go to a field trip and then you see all these amazing right. things yeah, and yeah. then you come back. And Everything's just the same. Yeah, well, yeah. you well, have a lot more knowledge when you come back. Yeah. But in a non-threatening way. Yeah. Interesting. Psychoanalyze this for me, Luke. What do you think? Well, I had a completely different experience of this book mm. because I very... <laughs> I only had like one or two slightly normal experiences of school. (laughs) So I was like, wow. This is what school school is like? People have school buses. People have regular teachers who are not part of their family. (laughs) People have classmates. And they go to places. This is amazing. I think school must be like this. (laughs) Give a bit of history about like school experience for you then to give some relatability for other people. Uh, Relatability. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Uh, if you count homeschooling for most of about three years, we're not homeschooling. Mm. Um, in in Yemen mostly, right? Uh, Yemen and Jordan. Jordan, I actually went to a private school for a couple of years, yeah. but it was a walk down the street, so like sure, two, sure. two meters, yeah. and it was completely like it felt like a compound because yep. <laughs> it was built with like solid brick wall and <laughs> everything. <laughs> um. A lot of uh, expat kids there being protected by rich families. So, <laughs> so, so in your mind, unusual. the book was completely foreign, right? The book was completely foreign. That's yeah. correct. So it was fantasy. Yeah, it was fantasy. It's like, wow, these American kids have such interesting schools. <laughs> it's interesting because for me, there were parts that were foreign, like the yellow American school bus is not mm. something we have in New Zealand. You know, I had, um, uh, you know, we had the... Uh, I went, to, I went to a private school. It's a very quick tangent here, but uh, mm. my first experience of class discrimination, interestingly enough, was the school bus because I lived in the poorest suburb and we always had the poorest bus and the best bus always went to the kids who lived in Pendleton in the best suburb. So the school bus perhaps was a little bit of a you know, touching point for me. Anyway, that aside, uh, <laughs> that's very much aside, uh, you know, the... The getting that kind of feel for the Americanisms I could look past because there was more that I could relate to. Obviously, for you, Luke, it was completely foreign in many ways, but there would still be things like, uh, did you go on any field trips in Yemen? I'm just trying to think of field trips you might have gone on. Not in Yemen, no. We no. did go on field trips like twice in Jordan, maybe three times. Yeah, there you go. So there was some <laughs> some of the field trips. But yeah, but anyway. Never, so had, never had a bus. Yeah, never had a bus. No. Well, for me, the first thing was definitely... So the school bus, I'm going to say that's for me the first kind of touch point I had to fan- without realizing what is, uh, that it was a portal fantasy, according to Joel, who has managed to break this down well. <laughs> yeah, no, th- yeah, it's... Yeah, it's surprising, though, like, the normality of it. I, I keep coming back to that. But, yeah, going into a place, like you said, Rochelle, um, and being able to come back. Uh, the classic idea in fantasy is that you you start out in the in the normal world, you go to the special world, and you come back, and usually the world has changed. And I suppose in this case, the world has changed because you come back with knowledge. And so you are imbued with the knowledge. So, yeah, I suppose it, in, in many ways it is a classic hero's journey. Um, and Miss Tizzle being the, the mentor. So... Yeah, let let's move on. Let's let's talk to you, Luke, about the first uh, speculative fiction book that uh, left an impression. I, I won't go with first. I'll go with most uh, interesting for me, because the first uh, was probably something like Morris Glitzman, hmm. Toad Rage, or something, and I was like, "Wow, it's a weird book," but <laughs> I didn't leave as much impression because I never had much. Um, I I didn't own one of those books, so I couldn't really um, get into the series or anything. But the one that left the most impression on me, I think, and it still has an impression in in my mind, is 
Uh, it was Dark Tide Onslaught by Michael Stackpole. So that's in the Star Wars Extended Universe. Right. And I actually picked it up when we went on a two-week trip to Yemen. It was the first time I'd ever been to Yemen. Yep. And we went to like a guest house kind of place. And mm. it was sitting there on a bedside table at the place that we stayed at. You pinched it, didn't you? I did not pinch it. Ah! I was a very good we, person. We believe you. I was a very good person. I did not pinch it, and I didn't finish it either. Oh, Which ooh, means it's one of those never-finished things. I never went back to it. I didn't remember the title until I looked it up today. Oh. <laughs> but it was oh. probably... It was the... It's the darkest story in the Jedi series that I've ever... Well, Jedi books that I've ever read. Hmm. And it kind of thrilled and scared me at the same time as bringing in all these like sci-fi and fantasy elements that I loved the most in mm. in those books. Uh, it introduced new characters to the series that I didn't know existed until later I found their backstories in other books in the series. Mm. Um, and it also introduced me to just Star Wars Extended Universe books, which I then delved into with utmost fury. <laughs> yeah, and it... <laughs> Star Wars, for a lot of people, I think, um, is their first experience of speculative fiction. But for you, it was interesting because it was it was the book, right? It was it wasn't the movies, um, a book rather. Not I, the... I had watched the movies. I'm not right. saying I hadn't. Watched but that them. wasn't the thing that captured you. That as was much as the yeah. Book. They they were like mm. that's cool adventure, whatever. But yeah, this yeah. thing suddenly made me think, wow, yeah, there's yeah. something really different here that I've not experienced in a book before. Yeah, it's like my sort of favorite sort of cozy characters in the Star Wars are in really dark universe in this book. <laughs> I, I mean, for, I, the the Star Wars books, the Timothy Zahn Hand mm. of uh, Thrawn series, you know, really made a big impression on me. Mm. About the same time, I think I was about ten or eleven, and I, I picked up a couple of Star Trek books, and I know that's kind of random, but they were at the library. You know, I was looking for... Some, I don't know why exactly they went for those. Oh, you know what? I do remember why. Because I loved the movies at the time. So, you know, classic uh, Khan moments. But yeah, I, I enjoyed picking those up. But I think finding out there was more to the universe... I tried to do anything other than Timothy Zahn, though, personally, and, and never quite made it uh, past that. Rochelle, you ever read any extended Star Wars universe books? I feel like they're not, they're not particularly popular with a wide range of people. This is becoming a whole host of things that I have to read that, <laughs> wow, was that a book as well? I really got into Star Wars as movies. Mm. I found that I generally read fantasy and I watched science fiction. So Interesting. that's where that trend is going. Yeah, I could, yeah, I think I'd agree with you on that for me as well. Because yeah. I wanted to see what yeah. is this thing yep. that you're writing about it and it's very hard to know what does this spaceship or sure, something yeah. else look like? How does that world look like? Is People's skin colors different. They mm. have different facial features. How does it work? And actually, another podcast comes to mind. Sorry, Joel. No, go for it. I love our friendship podcast really deeply. Go for it. So ignoring Joel there. <laughs> Welcome to Night Vale. It's quite interesting because you don't know what the characters quite look like. So you've got mm. all these interpretations, which now I'm comfortable sure. with going yeah i don't really know what it looks like i'm just going with it yeah perhaps because i've seen so many visual aspects of different science fiction worlds i'm more comfortable to imagine this Go completely back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. different thing happening whereas with mm. fantasy i felt that they had grounded it so solid you knew what these things looked like and it was quite mm. medieval yeah um which i knew about so that's where my thought process is going there. Yeah, interesting. Do you do you do you ever get that feeling, Luke, in science fiction where it's easier to visualize it uh, on the screen than it is um, on the page? 
Yes. Yes and no. I think because I grew up with a lot of my science fiction being intermixed with fantasy in the Star Wars universe, um, I... I got a little bit of a foundation from watching the Star Wars movies for it, so maybe it, it helped to ground me, but then I I didn't need to um, have the visual representation for a lot of those things anymore. So even like a new new ship in a different different book, mm. I was I was like, okay, that's I can sort of picture how it how it is. Mm. But I think I think for me there's definitely some of that, some of needing to to understand this weird things that haven't been described before, but also it's a lot about the the feeling that they've written in as well, mm. and that's not always easy to grasp, but not not easy to put into film. And I don't see a lot of fantastic science fiction movies. There are some good ones. It's a good series. Like I, I would say, Star Trek has done quite well on the sci-fi front, um, and it's had its misses as well. But um, apart from that, and perhaps one or two good, like individual films, I don't know a lot of great science fiction on screen. Maybe it's it's what it also kind of that appeals to you, I suppose. I mm. I find it can take me a little while to warm to a to a you know particular um, uh, science fiction universe. Potentially, fantasy mm. for me was always more native, I think. But I was always kind of the classic from. Lewis and, and Tolkien, uh, for me, were the, the kind of gateways to, to fantasy. I mm. think that I maybe branched out a bit more. As I was actually, I was watching um, Babylon Five was a big thing for me. Any of you guys watch Babylon Five? I think Joel watched it. Luke, you ever watch? Rochelle, it's a very niche time. Like it was only a couple of years there where it was kind of really happening. Just so. feeling this massive <laughs> rock that I'm under and realizing the existence, like. People in a cave always hear about this sunlight outside (laughs) until someone comes back and says, no, no, it looks like this. And I say, what? (laughs) Are you... Are you crazy? Is, I feel like Babylon Five. You're very much not missing out a, a lot on that. It's it's a very specific time, and the, the they use a certain style of animation for the for the uh, for the space parts of it, which just aged really fast. Like it had dated by the time <laughs> they put it on screen. Put it that way, and you're like, oh, okay, that's what you're going with. All right, let's roll with it. But it was a wonderfully gripping series uh, at some stage, so that's fine. But yeah, for me, I think around the time Babylon Five happened, which is about 1995, I very much got into. Um, into science fiction and at the time I was collecting magic cards because you know I really want to stake my credentials as being not a nerd um and you know that the whole getting my imagination stretched but in these different areas was really great I think that I was really stretching out on those areas it kind of contracted a bit during my teenage years perhaps anyway I'm, I've gone well off topic here no 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 I don't think so at all um I think that exposes a really interesting vein in science fiction um, that I think we as a society are still dealing with, right? We're, we're dealing with how we uh, interpret science fiction and how we present it on the on the screen. Uh, Star Trek is very uh, Star Wars rather. Who uh, is a very um, it's it's a what they, I guess science fiction light more science fantasy than anything else. Mm. Um, but and and I suppose that's why it's easier, much easier to get into that. And then you have these adaptations that fall just completely flat because of either a problem with how they translate the the medium to the screen, like in Valerian mm. and uh, a City of a Thousand Planets, or the opposite, Planet of a Thousand Cities. Anyway, um, basically, like that was a classic example of a massive budget flop in science fiction, and that's really scary because you you hope that industry will not see that as a failure. 
Yeah, and there's still never been a great game-to-movie uh, conversion. And we wait for the day... I'm looking at you, Doom, Prince of Persia. The list goes on anyway. We wait for the day that happens. Anyway. For you, it was the greatest day of your life. For me, it was Tuesday. Listen, that that is a fantastic adaptation. I have no idea what you're talking about, Ian. Anyway, moving swiftly along. Um, and I won't even mention that reference to the people that don't get it because it's not <laughs> worth watching. Um, Rochelle, tell us about that first speculative fiction um, thing, a movie, a book that left an impression, a mark on you. So actually I have two different kinds of impressions because the first one was kind of classic child that has to keep reading and says, oh, why am I reading this? I'm really not enjoying <laughs> this, which unfortunately was a series of unfortunate events Ooh. in many ways. <laughs> Sorry. Had to. See what you did there? I liked it. I really did. Sorry. <laughs> Validation? That was good. It was a series of unfortunate events. It was. It was quite surprising that just seeing so much of Joel's face right now. is <laughs> more complete so distaste at, at, at Ian's apparent lack of just subtlety of moving that, that beautiful pun <laughs> along. But it's all right. It was a pun because the joke was a series. Anyway, sorry. We'll, we'll move on. Yes, sorry. So do, you, were, you were forced to read a series of unfortunate events? So it was when you're in primary school and your teacher's like, all right, we're upping our game here. you got to read some more books. And I, I was reading, <laughs> but... At the same time, this was the first one that I got recommended to me. Uh, so my sister recommended it to me and said, you've got to read this. It's so good. And I went, what? Yeah. A good book. I'm not reading that. But I was. Was it about that stage where, you know, you start, they say, you're not allowed to read. The book can't have any pictures in it. You know, there's that kind of stage where teachers start to say, you can't have pictures. Were you kind of in that transitional period? Was that around the age you read it? I don't think that's the period I was in. I was going more towards, you have to read this versus I'm going out on my own and finding yeah, this. Yeah, that's such and a big I difference. I think I might have resented that I got recommended to read this book because then it couldn't be the book that I chose. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so I get that. quite a lot of Completely. things that were happening there, uh-huh. but I ended up really enjoying those, which was such a strange feeling to have mm. not wanting to enjoy the books because of all these various reasons and yet enjoying them. Yeah. So that was my first kind of how that was going. Mm. And the one that really left a big impression on me, the moment Joel said the question, I was like, this book, definitely. Part of a series, it's called Lily Quench. Don't know if you've heard of it. Really can't remember more about the author and what some of the title names were. Mm. Um, But the biggest impression left on me was this particular scene. Might have been three or four books in where this character's exploring her world, showing you what it's like. And it's very, here's your regulated food. Here's your regulated everything. You can't have anything that's not regulated. And she goes out and she has an apple and she remarks that it's sweet. I've never known what that flavor is and had something that Mm. wasn't like regulated. And just knowing that this child didn't know what an apple tasted like was such a huge shock to me as a child reading this going, how can you not know? I I have apples all the time. Does Mm. not everyone have apples all the time? What does that mean? So... That was actually the biggest shock I got from that. And as you can tell, I was thoroughly into my I'm reading everything I really want to stage, <laughs> which has never gone away. Mm. So, 
Yeah, that's your question. Yeah, that's. It's curious with the first one, especially with the series of unfortunate events. Luke, you've have you read the series? I never had access to the books. Mm. I did eventually watch the movie and then the new series, but yeah. I never had the books when I was at the age that I would have appreciated appreciated them. Most. them yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen the adaptations on Netflix. Not on Netflix, but I did watch the movie. It the came movie? out yeah. when I was in primary school. Kind how, of like a how did that compare treat. to the books? The concept completely changed. Mm. Okay. Because you have this series of unfortunate events. Everything gets worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Trying to describe it in another way. But really, they're <laughs> just unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And they get worse. And you don't think, maybe at this point, maybe things will get better. But no, they get worse. Whereas the movie was like really trying to say, okay, this is not a happy movie. We're trying to show you in the same way the books are going to show you. There is no happy ending. But wait, here's a happy ending. Right, mm. to give it an, like so an it arc. quite yeah. strange that it was like you won't get a happy ending. Just like if you're into that, go to a different movie. And then suddenly at the end, it actually came round about. That was uh, I wonder if you'd difference. like the Netflix one more then because they do, it's much darker sort of sensation all the way through. Uh, have you seen mm. it as well? Ian? No, I haven't, I haven't seen no. Okay, you're nodding there. I'm thinking, okay, he's... Interesting, he's okay, yeah, yeah. But it also doesn't end with the happy. It keeps going like, well, mm. it's going to keep going sort of thing. Do, do you think there's something... Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but there's something in there. And like, uh, I think that for, for kids with, with stories... Everything doesn't have to wrap up in a nice bow, and this frustrates me about mm. the end of the Golden Compass movie, and this was really bad because... Um, so, I don't know if we've all read... Um, uh, Philip Pullman's Yeah, Philip Pullman's Compass. Modern yes, Lights. Yes, finally, I can say, yes. Right. So, no, that's, that's great. I only, I only read it uh, last year, and so, you know, I was late coming to this, and um, I could barely remember how... But, man, the book is not a happy ending, but the movie, they just cut it off before the unhappy stuff happens, and you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, look... For kids, kids are smart. Kids, we need to pay credit to the audience that's reading. Um, things don't always have to end happily, and there's there's a there's a lesson in that. The way you handle it can be different. It's not like you're like, and then they stabbed him. You know, like you don't have to go on that kind of line of thinking. But there's actually a, a respect you can pay to to kids reading because kids are smart; they'll get it. So I think. Sorry, I know that's a little off topic there, but mm. it's interesting that that made such a big impression on you and you loved it, but it wasn't like it ended with a happy ending. I feel that's a very Hollywood way to deal with things. I think it's more about the hope at the end that things are going to get better as a child. You want to know that things get better. Mm. So they're quite targeted in that we are giving yeah. them the happy endings. Yeah, there you go. Well, well thank you, Mr. Marks, for that, uh, for that diatribe. <laughs> Just uh, my favorite color is red. What can I say? <laughs> <sighs> Uh, so, no, th- those are fantastic. <laughs> I'm seeing the rolling of eyes. It's great. It's great. Your jokes just land all the time, Ian. Just fantastic. not sure if that makes Joel Frederick Engels. Ah, uh, there we go. Are you in on this? No. Philosophy jokes. We're loving them. And uh, political treatises. That's what we're moving on to next. But before I get on to that, back to Joel for the next bit. Sorry. Let's take a canter over to uh, my section, shall we? Um, so it, it was weird because I had thought about it and I was like, well, if I just say the thing, everyone's going to be like, oh, Joel's talking about Solomon Kane again, Robert E. Howard and how he killed himself. But actually I was like, no, Solomon Kane is not 
the influence. <gasps> Shock! I just need to pause for a minute. Solomon Kane was not brought up as the main influence. This is just a, an amazing moment in podcast history. Uh huh. Uh huh. So it was weird because Solomon Kane imp- impacted me fantastically because it caught me just after a period where I started loving speculative fiction. Um, I had as uh, uh, as um. As Ian likes to mention, a very pretentious uh, kind of uh, reading uh, as a child. Um, so growing up, I, I really enjoyed, like, you know, Ivanhoe, Count of Monte Cristo, really classic stuff like that. So I didn't really get into speculative fiction until later. Um, and one of the first authors and books uh, that left a, a really crazy impression on me on why speculative fiction is so exciting um, was the book... Um, uh, the King Beyond the Gate by David Gamel. Now, uh, Gamel, for people who know me, Gamel was a massive influence because um, Gamel writes heroic fantasy. It's called, and the and the idea that even though a character is has flaws, he conquers them by the end, or his flaws do not define them, uh, define him or her. And it's curious because we're moving into a time where fantasy is very much in the gray. We we have established that gray is very good in sense of getting communicating to an audience reality. Um, but for me, while that was getting really popular, I was reading Gamel and that was so different, so refreshing and such a he had a great handle on voice, and voice gets picked up a lot these days because we talk about an author's handle on their character, able to characterize them and make them into someone that not so much you can barrack for, but someone that you can really understand. Understanding a character is so important. And Gamel does that beyond better than most fantasy authors, especially at that time when I was reading. Um, so yeah, King King Beyond the Gate, and it's it's funny because later on I I transition quite heavily out of traditional fantasy. I do prefer stories that aren't hard fantasy these days. But that yeah that that was the that was the book that left the impression for sure. I think that when I was reading as well, I do, I, I did read a lot of fantasy, um, and for me, uh, I think we have you know siblings. Uh, do we all have siblings? I I wish I knew. Make sure everyone has siblings. You know you, what your siblings read. There's a point often where you're reading similar things, but you kind of diverge. I know that my brother uh, tends to still read. You know, like he's working through. Uh, I was over at his place uh, at one stage, um, and he, he, he I saw a book there. And I'm like, ah, he's working through the Wheel of Time series uh, right now. And I was like, well, one was enough for me, <laughs> which is fine. I'm not quite going to get to 13. But yeah, he's he's kind of set himself a goal. But he still loves that. He was very much darkness dark. Seth, Sethanon, uh, Raymond D. Feist, that really like straight fantasy. Uh, whereas I've tended to go more towards. Um, I, I enjoyed you know George R. R. Martin's kind of stuff, but that's about as far as I'm going to go personally in terms. I just total sword and sorcery doesn't quite do it for me all the time these days. But you know I, I find that um, you you tend to diverge in what you in what you read. So in some ways it sounds like from what Joel was saying, you know he talks about Solomon Cain being the thing that really grabbed him after he'd been grabbed by something. I think often there's something which grabs us, and then there's a thing that consolidate us and we begin to define where are we going to go and what we read not that we you know and I enjoy reading as widely as I can I try to challenge myself to read widely but there's those things we love and for me the things that I love it might have started with something on the magic school bus but man something like Narnia really thrust me forward into what I loved the most yeah I, I think uh, looking back I can identify Gamal as a, as a key influence um, Luke, Rochelle, in your own writing, editing, reading, do, do you always like fall back on that author that you're like, I can identify that this person, you know, influenced uh, my, um, my writing or reading styles? 
for me, it was indirectly because mm. it was always this mystery book that I didn't know who the author was. I I yeah. sort of had a vague understanding of who the authors were in the um, the extended universe Star Wars space, but I wasn't sure exactly who this one was. Um, so for me, it was more the the concepts of how how weird and how mysterious that book was mm. compared to everything else that I was reading that. And I would take concepts from it like, um, I don't know, what the way that somebody would uh, react to traveling through space or something mm. and um, and the the incredible struggle of like a sort of a dark fantasy setting almost and, um, and the extreme challenge that... Because a lot of the Star Wars main stories don't really focus on the Jedi having much struggle mm. except for against the Sith. Yeah, yeah. But in here there was something so much darker than the Jedi. Internal they struggles. Couldn't, no, yeah. no, no, it wasn't even internal. Really? But there were there were some internal yeah. struggles, but it was mostly like this incredibly dangerous people that came from outside Malevolence, the galaxy yeah. who um constituted a really crazy threat to the Jedi. Yeah. And so it gave me all this idea of this it sort of it sort of drove me towards more and more dark fantasy writing. It literally drove you to the dark side. <laughs> Oof. Joel took the pun there. There you go. I think you did pretty well. Can I ask? Uh, I have to say, uh, quick comment, and then I have a question yeah. for you, Luke. Uh, often, sometimes the things that we start reading as a kid, as well, uh, we come back to them and realize they're not maybe as good as we thought. Mm. Um, Joel and I have talked about a couple of books recently. We're in, in that category. Uh, when I went back to the the Star Wars novel that I really loved, uh, I remember my mum saying to me, uh, uh, she'd studied English and was a big influence around reading and writing. Said to me, uh, when I, you know, she, she said to me. Ian, when, the, when a person repeats the same line again and again, you know it's not great writing. She's like, did you see how many times people's lips, lips curled in that book? I was like, oh, and then I just couldn't unsee it. <laughs> anyway, I have to ask though, uh, Luke, now that you've found this mystery book, are you going to go back and read it? Because it feels to me like it could, you know, that's, that's knife edge stuff. What's going to happen? Yeah, Meet that, your hero That book. was actually on my mind when I was thinking about this. And I don't think I will. I think I'm going to leave mm. it as that like, unread ideal that I can work around because I've had read other books in the in the extended universe that kind of shaped what I what I imagined about it so like the Timothy Zahn series mm, and yeah. uh, some Jude Watson books mm. and I think others other books by um, Stackpole as well mm. and I think that's kind of formed where I'm where I'm at with the Star Wars books and kind yeah. of like where I understand I enjoy the writing. Mm. So I still kind of want to hold this as like the one that I haven't quite finished, but I really enjoyed. Yeah. It, it's one of those, but I, I don't like to say that. I don't mm. like to, the idea of there being this book that, you know, I haven't finished, even though I love it. No, <laughs> it's one of those things you don't think that you should hold, but at the same time, I might do it I, for this one. I think that's okay because I mean, I went <laughs> back, I've re been replaying a, a bit of final fantasy nine recently in mm. terms of games. And there were certain things that I remembered, which are, are not as I remembered them. Mm. And uh, re in replaying it, actually, I've kind of been like, ah, I don't know if I needed to come back to yeah. this personally. Like, well, while I love coming back to some of the other series in the title, you know, I feel like maybe going back has not been the best thing for me. Um, Rochelle, are there any books you've gone back to that you feel like you shouldn't have gone back to or that you were really glad that you did revisit from your childhood? So this is an odd coincidence and not in any way what you're thinking. Right. <laughs> Do tell. My favourite series is by Trudy Canavan. 
is the Black Magician trilogy. And I did. I went back and I read it and I nearly missed my train station multiple times. Tram stops multiple times. Had to walk back. Trudy, if you're listening, this is not a paid endorsement. (laughs) Oh, if only. (laughs) I've read that maybe five times now, the complete series, and I'm just so pleased with everything Mm. that happened in it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is only... A success. But how how long ago did you read those books? Like the fir- the first time that you read those books, uh, Trudy's work. I think the first time I was in early high school, so mm-hmm. maybe around year eight, and then I went back in year ten. I went back in year eleven. <laughs> I went back in year twelve, and I went back when I was in university. So I've always loved that series, and mm. particularly that theme. Yeah. So needless to say, I'm just getting it and just gonna put it put it out there. And, you know, if you don't if you're not don't pick it up, just throw it back. Are you a Trudy Canavan fan? I really am. You really are. That's good. I'm so glad. I'm glad to hear that you went back to it though, because yeah, those experiences of coming back to things, if it's not as you remember, can be quite devastating. I think. I don't know, Joel, if you've ever done it. <laughs> no, I absolutely have. I read I read The King Beyond the Gate, and I wonder. And, and this is something that. I've, often told people i believe i have blinkers that just like snap in front of my face as soon as i'm reading something i enjoy and i'm unable to bring myself to critically analyze them um i think if i if i did and if i looked at king beyond the gate i could probably find some things but i don't care like when i read it i'm reading it for pure enjoyment it's one of the few experiences that you i can read a book and not have to think oh i wonder what journey this is i wonder if it's a portal quest (laughs) yeah right i think maybe maybe that's the way i feel about narnia when i go back to it um, and I just feel like, you know, because I, I revisited um, Raymond D. Feist's Magician and it wasn't anything like what I'd remembered. Um, and this is not trying to be down on Mr. Feist, uh, you know, good for him. Um, it was, it's obviously was pretty seminal when I read it, though. It was like, wow, this was an incredible universe that was created. Going back to it, I was like, my goodness, I didn't realize how much this book jumped around in a whole lifetime. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to go back because you have preconceptions uh, and that's difficult to bring into the book. But the best feeling is when you read it and you're like, still just as good. But moving on. So we've, we've, Oh, do you have one more comment? Absolutely. I think it's quite different when you've remembered a book or you've just finished a book and you tell a friend about it and you key, you have all these key moments that really stood out to you (laughs) and they read it and they say, Rachel, I know exactly. I like. I remember exactly how you described it to me. Mm-hmm. I swear that was like one page of the entire book. Mm. It was so different, and I was like, "Yeah, but that page, it was excellent." Yeah. And we're like, "Yeah, it was," but I knew about it to begin with because you told me. <laughs> but still, that wasn't the whole book. So yeah. I had to become quite self. Well, not really self-aware. My friends really just telling me, "I will listen to your description of these books, but I won't go and read them unless I really want to." Um, a lot of my friends don't read as much and as often as mm. I do. But, yeah, I remember books to exactly what I think are the key points. And even if I know they're not key points, just one particular scene. No key points to you. They were. Yeah. Mm. The, the, um, the Cliff Notes version in your mind. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. I think I don't, I don't do that as much as I remember um, a character. I think a character is the biggest thing that I remember. But... Well, we I can talk about this for many hours, and I know Luke I has points, so one of go the, for it. The the most lousy return to serieses, mm-hmm. and that was uh, with uh, the <laughs> with uh, Aragon. 
<laughs> so when I was probably what 13, 14, I can't remember exactly when they came out. Oh I, I loved the first two books. I actually yeah. did. And um, about five or six years after that, when I hadn't read them for that long, my dad and my sister started reading them and liking them. And they got me the next book and gave it to me. Oh, right. <laughs> I made it about a chapter in. Not even, oh. Maybe not even a full chapter in. I couldn't go on. It's, it was that much of a jarring experience. It's, it's not necessarily <laughs> the book is bad. It's that you've grown and developed and what oh, you, I understand that. Yes, what you loved, I did, right? I still, yeah, I yeah, still, it's interesting, isn't it? I yeah. haven't gone back to read Aragon and the, the previous book. Just I've, I've, I, ha- I hold them with sort of mild confusion in my yeah. mind because I did, have, I did get some good experiences out of that book. Yeah, totally. Those books, rather. Interesting that we're interesting. I, I mean, my goodness, yeah. There's a, there's yeah. a lot of those moments. So I didn't I get to finish the series because I'd grown out of it. So goodness harshly. me, that's yeah, that's an awful feeling. Um, well, as you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, we can talk about this subject for a very long time because we're all super passionate about this. Um, but I have one final question to each of you, and then we'll wrap up. And that is, why do you keep doing it? Why do you keep reading it? Why do you keep writing it? Why is speculative fiction so integral to your writing and to your reading? It's my reality. Mm. That's more real to me than a lot of the things that are in the real world. Mm. And some of the things that are in the real world are more absurd to me than the <laughs> things that are in, in fantasy yeah. and science fiction and all those others. Um, it's probably not the kindest thing to say about the world, but <laughs> um, it's really the place I feel more comfortable. And... It's a weird thing because I haven't thought about that until mm. recently, I guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the the written... And even just the power to write yourself into a world temporarily or to to create the details that no one else knows of or or something that you... That, that are only in your mind. Um, I think I wrote it on my, my Twitter profile somewhere that fi- uh, fiction is freedom. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That is that is a both very hopeful and also sobering thought about reality, I think. Rochelle, what about yourself? Actually, I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently. I went overseas for one year and ended up not reading. I think maybe in the whole year I read four books and I was so shattered that I'd only read four books and I hadn't gotten to explore different worlds that I realized... Probably with the amount of books that I was reading, I'd replaced it with all the movies that I had access to. Mm. So the reason why I get back to reading these is because I want to experience different worlds. It's very strange to me that you can experience your life day after day after day and nothing's changing. You're Mm. still in the same world. But the moment you open that book, you're someone else or you're seeing world through someone else's eyes and so much changes and with fantasy you've got different concepts of magic so Mm. one i've been reading recently has this concept of burning metals it's the mistborn series by brandon sanderson yep i was so amazed that you could have that as a kind of magic and another one i was reading was magic in the form of different colors that's uh, Brent Weeks? Yes, yes, the Black Prism. Yeah. Just these concepts of 
how it could be with mm. magic and all these different forms of magic is quite interesting in so many different ways that I'm always drawn to. Well, what's this kind of magic? How does this person see their world? And getting to experience different people in different lives is what I want to experience. What is it like if I chose maybe this job instead of this job or mm. I had this kind of upbringing <laughs> instead of that? Or yeah. what if I was that character and how does this person that no one knew about before become so influential and how's that person that no one knows about still become someone that no no one knows about but their friends are so utterly changed by having known them yeah that's what draws me in and keeps me there there you go Ian what about yourself yeah I think um coming back to uh when I picked up Narnia the story is often um uh, they were about these kids who go out of the world and have an amazing experience and like lifetimes can pass but you come back and it's only been a very short amount of time kind of sums up the experience of fiction really you know you can read a lifetime in a few minutes which is a very strange thought and um, for me uh, you know we, we didn't have uh, a lot of money growing up and I, I think about I always found, find these days that these amazing experiences and the toys that you love the most as a kid, this is a very roundabout way, but I'm going to get to a point here. I hope it'll be good. The, the toys that you, you love as a kid are often, they're not the ones that are flashy and do the, the coolest things. They're actually the ones that you can create and imagine more through and kind of build your world with. And those that's, I think, why I loved fiction so much is that I could engage with it so much. And uh, that's why Lego is a classic because it doesn't tell the story for you, it lets you kind of tell it. Now, in terms of... Um, in terms of fiction, I would read these stories, and I can still remember sitting on that couch, uh, reading Narnia, reading The Hobbit, reading these stories that took me out. And and we didn't have the money for me to create these experiences, but here I was able to explore worlds and do that. And it was the same with Final Fantasy VII, when I suddenly stepped out of the city of Midgar at the beginning of the game and the story, and I went, oh my goodness, this is a ginormous story I'm about to be a part of. And th- those feelings stay with me. And I remember... Um, I got I got a review back from someone one time uh, where they said I bought this uh, I bought this book the other day and I kept my son sitting on his seat the entire afternoon and I thought there's nothing that I want more in my writing than that and I think that's what keeps me going is that that kid can jump into another universe uh, for an afternoon and get away from whatever it is that's uh, in their own. I think reading speculative fiction um, and writing it is. They're, they're two different experiences for me. Um, reading it uh, allows me to understand different voices and um, look at the world through the author's eyes in many ways. And, and, and some might say character's eyes, but I think um, because the author uh, some, most times unconsciously or subconsciously puts so much of themselves into their work and is able to, um, they're able to, to, shape this world you know they're, they're god to their world and they're able to create a narrative because narrative in in many senses it's an artificial construct um we create beginnings and endings to things um that we're able to tie together into a narrative and reading it is such a pleasure because you're able to to understand the art you're able to to appreciate it and putting it into fantasy you know the boundaries at that point become the limit science fiction become the limit of the author's imagination. Um, I think writing it is is daunting. It's incredibly daunting um, because along with the whole idea of endless possibilities, there is the idea of creating a narrative that stands on its own and is going to be read not by you, 
but by other people. Um, but also having that ability to put them in that world, realizing that you've created this world for them to lose themselves in, to follow a character across deserts and mountains, into space, um, into a digital world. These are experiences that I think you just can't get in a lot of other kinds of fiction. That's what keeps me reading it. That's what keeps me writing it. Um, well, thank you very much for uh, listening to this episode. Um, we have one final comment from Rachelle, and then we'll move on to shout-outs. So, Rachelle, take it away. So, before I forgot to specify why specifically fantasy and science fiction, um, realized what I said was very broad. Mm. I think specifically why fantasy and science fiction is this question, what is it to be human? Mm. So, in science fiction, you've got different technologies and you try to see how these changes affect someone, but ultimately, what is it to be human? Is it the emotions? Is it something on the outside? Because you can have a very human-like, or you could just call them human, but they don't look as you would expect mm. or behave in sure. a way you would expect. And same with fantasy. With the addition of magic, does that separate them? Does that solidify? So getting to all these kind of philosophical questions yeah. in such an easier way or more visual way that you can see visualizing you create these worlds in your minds as well that's why fantasy and science fiction fantastic and uh the video will be out at the festival and it'll also be out after uh online we can't wait for you to watch that um various authors specfic and not talking about um the same questions that we've just answered um, and they have some really great insights into that as well. Um, as for us, we're done. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Luke, where can people find you? Hey, you can find me on Twitter, at The Soul Shard, or on my website, thesoulshard.com. Fantastic. Ian? You can find me uh, on Twitter, at IHLaking, and my website is ihlaking.com. Both, uh, both Joel and I, uh, sorry, both Luke and I, going for uh, you know classic variations. Oh, yeah. So original. Uh, Rachel, um, what are you reading? (laughs) That's an excellent question, but you can find me at the Speculative Festival and also on LinkedIn. Um, But mostly at the festival because you'll be able to see me in person. Absolutely. So if you see this very stressed artist liaison running around, you'll know it's Rachel. Or my assistant. Oh, your assistants. There you go. They might be quite a bit more stressed than I am. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I'm sure you'll have a handle on them. Yes, wish us all luck. Uh, we are going to have a great day. We really hope that um, we'll see a few listeners. It would be great to meet you guys in person as well. Um, I know that providing digital content to The Void is quite interesting, but um, you know, if you see us, you know, come by and say hi, and we'd love to chat. Uh, you can find The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au, with all our uh, podcast archives. We have a few specific-specific um, podcasts uh, coming out in the lead-up to this festival, um, also with some interviews from some fantastic conversations with people overseas who are contributing to the specfic space in a really meaningful way, um, and we'd love to engage with that as well. Um, you can find this episode uh, on iTunes as well as all our previous. You can find me at the pen of Joel on Twitter, where I just retweet Specfic. So you know, just follow that instead, uh, which is at Specficvic on Twitter, and the website is Specfic.com.au. And that's it. That's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. We will see you on the next episode. Bye bye. <laughs>